G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you know, we like to take some time to touch base with those who are working in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities around Australia. First Peoples in Australia are important. And with news that comes through from time to time of amazing revivals that have broken out in different communities around Australia, we don't want to ignore the opportunity to hear what God is doing in a powerful way in Aboriginal communities. Carl Mush and his wife Gail have 30 years experience as missionaries working in Northern Territory and North Queensland. Uh, They've even got some amazing vision for some links to the Apache Indian community in the United States. Well, Carl's back with us today to talk some more about Indigenous communities in Australia. Hello, Carl. Welcome back to 2020. Hello, Neil. Carl, great to talk to you again. Look, when you talk about Indigenous communities and the sorts of cultures that there are, because every tribal group is different, this is a really complicated issue to talk about, isn't it, talking about Aboriginal culture? Yeah, you certainly could say that. And... uh one of the, I suppose, the things to remember that uh, is particularly for, for Aboriginal people themselves is uh, there's a sense that, hey, our culture belongs to us. And uh, so when you, uh, I need to be careful about how I answer questions regarding culture because it, it's, it's there, sort of like intellectual property rights. And so... Uh, for someone who isn't Aboriginal to be talking about the culture, you've just got to be uh, you know, careful that you don't overstep your right to speak. Is there a sense in which when you have brought the message of the gospel and it's been received by people in tribal Aboriginal communities, uh, that once there is a deeper understanding of what that gospel message means, you really have to take hands off and let leadership develop within that tribal group so that the culture actually grapples with the issues of the gospel? Is that the way you find it, it works? Very much so. I, I, I suppose there's, there's two approaches. One is to run away from difficult issues, and that's a popular approach, is let's just not touch on if something because it's difficult. Um, it just, but uh, if I can just say that doesn't work, because you, you, then you're expecting people to make decisions in a vacuum without the understanding that they need to make those decisions. On the other hand, the uh, I suppose you could say the... Uh, uh, a previous mission era approach has been to uh, force changes upon people that uh, and uh, taking away people's free will can obviously be not God's plan if he gave us the free will in the first place. So, uh, so it, it's a complicated issue, but you certainly need to allow people to make their own decisions about their own life but informed by the Word of God, as opposed to 
controlled by Christian leaders from outside that context. What you're talking about is a multi-generational vision for change because in this day and age when we're used to things happening instantly, uh, mission doesn't work like that with any group. But uh, even so, you can see that quite determinedly happening within Aboriginal communities uh, where Indigenous leaders take up the challenge of uh, bringing the gospel and discipleship into their communities. You're talking about generations of change before uh, before real uh, change takes place. Yep, yep, sure. However, as far as real change taking place, if I can just say, when people come to know Jesus as their Lord, dramatic transformational change does take place, and it takes place very quickly. To some degree, there's a possibly a, maybe even a an overemphasis um, uh, sometimes from uh, non-Indigenous people on culture change, because as much as there are things that need to change, there are actually aspects of Aboriginal culture that are so consistent with the teaching of Jesus and so consistent with the Word of God that uh, it actually reinforces many aspects of their culture. I'll, I'll just give it a quick example. For instance, a, an awareness of a spirit world. For most white Australians, uh, the closest they get to a, a real conscious awareness of a spirit world is, is, is ghost stories around a campfire. But for Aboriginal people, the fact that the spirit world very much impacts on the quality of life day to day, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's already a reality to Aboriginal people. And it's a reality of the New Testament that, w- that we live in. So when it comes to stepping into certain aspects of spiritual warfare and, uh, and uh, being led by and directed by the Holy Spirit and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, to be honest, the gospel reinforces and, and empowers existing aspects of Aboriginal culture. But in the same way, the Word of God challenges every individual and every people and every culture um, that there are some things that need to change. And uh, when people respond to, to Jesus as Lord, things change, and things change for the better. So when we've heard those stories over recent years of major revivals happening in places like Arakoon in North Queensland and other centres where there's been spiritual revival, this spirituality that happens within Aboriginal culture actually creates more opportunity for that sort of breakout of amazing work of God within the community than, than what we might sometimes expect within non-Indigenous communities. Certainly there is a greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit among Aboriginal Australians. And uh, there's also, it's always been the case, Jesus says, I came to preach the gospel to the poor. And the sad truth is that Indigenous Australians are, uh, do on, on average face poverty on a, on a higher level than any other group of people within Australia. And uh, they're looking for answers that Jesus provides. And uh, whereas people who are comfortable with their day-to-day life may not be looking for answers. They might feel they already have them. But, uh, you know, I see Jesus coming into individual lives and transforming them, but very much 
coming into whole families and, and, and whole communities bringing change. You and Gail have planted a number of churches in Indigenous communities and talking Northern Territory and North Queensland. And as you reflect on this idea that there is a real openness to spirituality and so therefore an openness to the gospel, what sort of transformation do you see? Because oftentimes we're simply guided by the headlines that we might read in the mainstream media. And as you mentioned, poverty and others will say, and they're quick to bring these things out, you know, alcoholism and uh, sexual abuse, all sorts of things like that. What difference is it making in those Aboriginal communities when you've got a gathering of believers coming around the values of God's word, what sort of difference does it make when some of those big challenges are are discussed? Well, firstly, Aboriginal families generally work together. And so when uh, people receive Jesus, as maybe as an individual, usually there's also, you can see God is working in a whole family. And so a whole family will begin to experience uh, a measure of transformation, and that then will work out through a community. Very often in smaller Aboriginal communities, actually everybody is related. And so uh, that's another reason that you can see uh, change happen in a community, um, particularly the smaller communities, where everybody is, is, is related because there's a, a willingness to work together for those changes. Um, I just maybe a couple of contrasting examples. One of the larger communities that we've had ongoing connection to for many years um, is a place called Wugala in the Northern Territory. When uh, I first went there about 28 years ago, 29 years ago, uh, there was uh, an office in a uh, office in a school and a in uh, a, a shop, but um, since believers have begun to to uh, gather and worship and pray for their community and pray for one another and uh, share the word with one another, um, believers are the ones who initiated the um, uh, a women's group, and then that women's group. Uh, got the funding to start home and community care, sort of like Meals on Wheels for the old people. The, the same women's group then also started a, a uh, child care centre and uh, they got the uh, wherewithal to see that funding come in and they initiated that. Then the, uh, the men actually started a, uh, an emergency men's shelter and... Uh, they would take men in who were really too drunk to go home uh, or who were in, in uh, men who were in domestic violence situations. Sometimes it was better for them to walk away. And uh, they started one of the first men's uh, shelters on a community, and that was the uh, Christian men. One of the first people who got uh, born again in that, that group has become the chairman of the school committee, and it's become one of those uh, independent public schools. And so the school committee actually makes decisions in partnership with the principal rather than just being a fundraising body. Um, just, just about uh, the majority of... It's, it's actually very difficult for an Aboriginal person to be involved in law enforcement, particularly with regard to obligations towards older relatives 
having authority over them, except etc. But nearly all of the law enforcement people in the whole area have come from the families of Christians because they see the importance of law and they see an opportunity to help people rather than simply as a as a, as agents of punishment. They see that they can actually make a difference in the community. So. Uh, most positive changes in the community have been made by Christians becoming empowered to make a difference in their own community. Powerful stuff, Carl. Uh, Let me get your perspective just for a few moments here because a lot of non-Indigenous Christian Australians, when we think about missionary work, we're thinking of maybe the South Pacific Islands or Papua New Guinea, Southeast Asia, our nearby neighbours, or maybe even, uh, you know, on the plane to Africa. But uh, the sorts of mission work that's uh, open to uh, really to be grown and developed in Australia is just a huge, isn't it? There's so many needs within Indigenous communities, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, that this is a place where we perhaps ought to get a, a new fresh passion, a new fresh love uh, for reaching out to our fellow Australians. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the way that people perhaps think about ministry in Aboriginal communities? Yep, that is very much true. Unfortunately, uh, you know, I've been at this for 30 years and one of the things that I've faced really is almost being treated like I'm not a real missionary because I'm involved in Australia. Now, whether the, you know, you like the term missionary or not, um, there's still a need to make disciples of all peoples. And uh, that... Uh, it's been interesting that nine out of ten, and maybe more than that now, of the Aboriginal communities that I'm involved in, it's been because Aboriginal Christians have asked me to work in partnership with them to help them start a church. And uh, so they're, they're wanting help, they're wanting friends, but what they're not wanting is somebody to take over. They're not wanting... Uh, someone to make the decisions for them, but they're wanting somebody who can uh, empower them with the Word of God. Um, and sometimes it's not all just the Bible. Sometimes there are simply just, I suppose, Western world skills, even uh, you could say a little bit of li- liaison with uh, uh, the Western world. You know, they have a an approach to things, and they look at the way white people do things, and they go, that doesn't make any sense to them at all. And so sometimes it's being a friend who can help them understand why do white people and white-run organisations and certainly non-Indigenous majority governments make decisions that don't seem to make any sense to them. Sometimes they don't make any sense to me either, but uh, having a, a sort of foot in both camps, uh, you, you can be a bit of a bridge for them to help them uh, make the most of the opportunities that there are there for them that they uh, you know, really haven't been aware of or, or been able to see. So being involved in Indigenous ministry by way of mission isn't about taking over. It's about being a facilitator, a partner, a bridge between two cultures 
And I know that you, Carl, and your wife, Gail, have got an amazing vision. And even in the times to come, because of your descent from the Apache Indians in the United States, you're even looking to draw links and be involved in raising up teams and all sorts of opportunities there for creating links between mission operations, both here in Australia and over in the United States. Well, Carl, let me point people to the website for those listeners who might like to connect sure. with you. Uh, your ministry is called Indigenous Ministry Links Australia. The website is imla.org.au. That stands for Indigenous Ministry Links Australia, imla.org.au. Carl Mush, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts once again with us today on 2020. God bless you. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.